If there's a God, what does he care about? And is there any way to even know what he cares about? Well, there is. And when we find it, we actually find what life is truly about. We find the answer in the story of Jesus. So let's talk about it together. Okay, so what do you think God cares about? Like, do you think he cares if someone is uh, conservative or liberal? Do you think he cares, you know, how we dress? Do you think he cares if we stand for the Pledge of Allegiance? Do you think he cares about uh, whether we uh, fit all the perfect gender roles or not? Do you think he cares about whether um, somebody believes in capitalism or socialism or, or communism? Now, maybe he does care about those things, but... If I asked you, if I turned it around and I asked you, do you care about those things? Would your answers to if God cares about it be any different than if you care about it? See, here's something interesting. When we care about something, we assume God cares about it too. And we think like, well, of course God cares about it because, you know, it's important. And so he agrees with me. That's why I care about it. Now, for sure, there are things that God cares about, but what are they? And how can we get in line with the things God cares about? How do we know we haven't just painted a picture in our mind of a God who just agrees with us? How do we know we're not just using God to justify our own positions and opinions? Well, the answer is in the story of Jesus. Because when we discover the true heart of Jesus, we discover what God truly cares about. To see how this works, we need to look at a scene, a pretty interesting scene actually, from life of Jesus. Because first century Jews, especially the religious leaders, they thought they knew what God cared about too. And one of the main things they thought God cared about was if they washed their hands before they ate, and then what the food was that they ate with those washed hands. And that might seem kind of peculiar to us, but as we look at the, this idea and we see what Jesus says about it, we'll actually f discover his true heart and discover what God truly wants. So, Let's dive in. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Now, we got to stop there because this is kind of a big deal. Jerusalem was about 100 miles away from where Jesus was teaching. So for them, that'd be like a 30-hour journey to just go investigate Jesus. And this wasn't the first time they investigated Jesus. They had done it before. See, the news of what Jesus has been doing keeps getting back to Jerusalem somehow. So they feel like they need to go investigate Jesus. They had accused him of casting out demons with the power of Satan. And Jesus was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. There was already a plot to kill Jesus. And now he's getting more and more popular. So they need to investigate even more. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they, didn't eat, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. And we think, ah, gross. Yeah, Jesus, I, you should wash your hands before you eat. Like, these guys are right. You're nasty. But that's not the point. See, sure, it, yes, it's good to have proper hygiene. Let's get that straight. But why are the Pharisees making this trip 
to investigate Jesus. And then the thing that seems they really care about is whether he and his disciples are washing their hands properly. Like, wouldn't you think they'd ask him more like, so you say you're bringing in the kingdom of God, and what does that actually mean? Or maybe they'd ask him, so how are you doing these miracles, and how's that part of the kingdom of God? Or anything other than just like washing their hands. Now, when we're reading the biblical writings, whether it's the story of Jesus or anything else, one of the best questions we can ask is why? So why are the Pharisees making such a big deal about Jesus washing his hands? Well, it's more than just about hygiene. And in fact, to really understand this and get into their minds, we're going to have to do just a little bit of a history lesson. In 587 BC, Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar II, conquered the kingdom of Judah and destroyed the Jewish temple and really destroyed Jerusalem. And according to the Jewish scriptures, God had warned his people that this was going to happen through his prophets because the people had broken their agreement, their, their covenant that they had made with God through Moses. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. And basically, God says, look, Israelites, you follow these rules I'm going to give you, and then you will be, I will be your God, and you will be my special people, and I will protect you, and you will prosper, and you'll have peace in the land I'm going to give you. And so he begins with, like a, well, basically, he begins with the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. And then there's other uh, regulations for purity laws and circumcision and, and food laws. And people said, yeah, well, 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 we want to do this. We agree to this. You know, we'll do this and you'll do that agreement. Unfortunately, the people did not keep up their end of the agreement. And as years went by, they kept, they, yes, they kept going through the motions of the sacrifices and, and temple worship, but the strong still abused the weak and the, the poor and the orphans and the widows and the foreigners were not taken care of. They were neglected. And the, the, the leaders and the people thought, well, as long as we keep the outward religious thing going, well, then God doesn't really care about uh, what we do. As long as we follow the, the rules and the, and the rituals and the routines, we'll be okay. But God had warned them through his spokespeople, the prophets, that that wasn't going to work. Yet I will bring disaster upon you, and there will be much weeping and sorrow, for Jerusalem will become what her name Ariel means, an altar covered with blood. I will be your enemy, surrounding Jerusalem and attacking its walls. I will build siege towers and destroy it. Then deep from the earth you will speak. From low in the dust your words will come. Your voice will whisper from the ground like a ghost conjured up from the grave. And so the Lord says, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. So God warned them, but they didn't listen. So God let Babylon destroy Jerusalem and the temple and take many people into exile. And then, as the prophets promised later, Babylon was destroyed by the Persians. And in 538 BC, Cyrus the Great allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild its walls and rebuild their temple. But as time went on, they were then conquered by the Greeks and then finally by the Romans. And it's in that time period that the religious leaders started thinking, they said, you know, if all of this started, all this horrible, like we lost our nation because our ancestors 
didn't keep the covenant with God, well, then we need to make sure that we have as many of us as possible follow the rules of God. So that's why? So that he will bless our nation, so that we can have our nation back, we can get rid of the Romans, and we can be strong again. In fact, you know what? Instead of just you know trying to keep the rules God gave us, what if we added rules so we don't even get close to, the, to breaking the, the covenant that God made with us? We'll make extra rules so that we're extra good and God will like us extra more. Like, for example, the whole hand-washing thing that the Pharisees were upset about Jesus about, the only like regulation in the Jewish scriptures about hand-washing was for the priests who would wash their hands before they did the ceremony of sacrifice in the temple, and then they would eat that sacrifice. And they thought, well, if God wants to have if God wants the priests to wash their hands before they do the sacrifices, then I know. What if all of us wash our hands before we eat anything? Then that would be super extra holy, wouldn't it? And after a while, people started agreeing. And the cultural pressure became that if you cared about our nation, if you cared about your people, you would follow these extra rules and regulations and traditions to be a good Jew. A good Jew cares about his nation, right? So you would you would do these things, wouldn't you? And if you broke them, well, then you're unclean and you're excluded from, from public worship and, and social interaction. Why? Well, it's, it's for your own good and, really, it's for the good of the nation. They're trying to control people's behavior. So they would conform to what the leaders thought a good Jew would do in order to make God happy. Religious rules and traditions can often be used to control and conform. And these rules and regulations and traditions became a burden for the people because they could never fully measure up. And so when you couldn't measure up, you were labeled unclean. You were an outcast. And if bad things happen to you, well, it's, you know, not, oh, poor you, let us help you. It's, well, God's obviously mad at you because you haven't been following these traditions good enough. And, and so in order to be accepted, what do you think people had to do? They had to start faking it. You had to say, oh, no, no, I do. I do all the good things that everybody else does. I'm, I'm a good Jew, too. They had to start faking perfection. You know how exhausting that is. And, and those who were closest to meeting the standard or were the best at faking it, they started thinking, oh, we're so much better than everyone else. And they became, you know, proud and arrogant. See, religion and tradition was placed above the person for the good of the nation. And so in the Pharisees' mind, Jesus was undermining everything they had been trying to do undoing their efforts to make Israel pure. They're saying, like, we'll never get rid of these Romans if, if people like Jesus and his disciples don't do the traditions that we think keeps the nation pure. Like, Jesus, don't you care about our country? Like, don't you care about keeping our nation and our religion pure? But Jesus refused to conform to other people's religious and social expectations. And Jesus says, you know what I care about? I might care about the nation, but I actually really, I care about the people of our nation. I don't care about your made-up religious rules and traditions. I care about the hearts of people. I care that their hearts are shaped and formed by and in God's true love. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. By trying to avoid the consequences that their ancestors had brought on themselves 600 years earlier, these people had become guilty of the exact same thing. They thought that going through the motions of religion, following the rules, that, and some of them weren't even from God, was what God wanted from them. But they missed the whole point of God's law to point them to his true heart, which is people. 
God's true heart is for people. Instead, they had alienated and burdened and even abused the people that God loved. They'd missed the whole point. How we love is more important than the rules and traditions we make up for ourselves. The point of the law and the commandments wasn't the rituals, wasn't making sure everything was done right. The rituals were signposts pointing to what really mattered, the heart. Knowing God, knowing and loving God as expressed through loving others. And then Jesus gives an example. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother, like one of the 10 commandments, the big ones. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. See, these really smart lawyers, religious lawyers, had found a loophole in even the Ten Commandments. They said, like, if I vow that my belongings belong to God, then I made a vow, and so I can't honor my father and mother and take care of them in their old age because God wouldn't want me to break my vow, would he? And somehow, they had also convinced themselves that if they vowed something to God, then they still got to use it because, well, you know, they're living for God, so therefore, you know, it's, it's all kind of the same thing. And Jesus is using this example as an indictment on their entire social and religious system. The Pharisees said that Jesus was undermining the social structure. Well, Jesus turned it around and is showing that they are undermining not only the structure of family, but they're undermining the, the, the same covenant that they think they are so well upholding. They got so concerned about saving and restoring their nation that they forgot the point of their nation to show the world God to represent God to the world, to be his nation, a, a kingdom of holy priests, showing people the way to know the true God, to discover God's true love for them. Instead of seeing their religion and their politics and their, and their traditions through the lens of God, they began to see God through the lens of their religion, politics, and tradition. Now, we modern Americans, we've never done that, right? So, if we don't want to do that, What's the alternative? How do we avoid the same pitfalls? How do we like, what do we, what do we do instead? Well, to explain it, Jesus actually takes it a step further. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you, listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Now, the implications of what Jesus said are huge. Like the food laws, like you think about eating kosher, right? The food laws are something that have set the Jewish people apart from the rest of the world by that point for 1,500 years. And Jesus is basically saying like those things, those regulations and those traditions that you are so proud of, that you're like, this is what the Jews do. We are God's chosen people. Those food laws that you think are so important, 
their purpose and their time are over now. See, the point was never that you ate differently. It wasn't what went into your body that, what was, that God was caring about. The point was for you to be different, to show the world who God truly is, to love each other and the world the way God loves you. What God always wanted wasn't what you ate, wasn't what was in your stomach. What God always wanted was your heart. Food doesn't defile you. What defiles you is the evil that comes out of your heart. Rules and traditions can never change our heart. All they actually do really often is just deaden our hearts to the true love and heart and, and voice of God. Now, the story stops there and it goes on to a different scene and it kind of seems like Jesus leaves us hanging, right? He says, look, the food laws, those, those don't cleanse you. The food goes into you doesn't defile you. What comes out of your heart defiles you. The evil that comes out of your heart defiles you. And then we're like, okay, so we're defiled. What do we do about it, Jesus? Like if, the, if following the rituals and the traditions doesn't clean us up and keep us from being defiled, what does? And that's a great question. Now, it feels like he leaves us hanging in what we read today, but Mark, the book of Mark was designed to be read in one sitting. And so later on in the story, Jesus solves this problem for us. See, he, later on, we'll see that he teaches that something better than the law of Moses has come, something that can actually cure a defiled heart, him. He will tell his disciples, I am bringing a new covenant, an agreement not just between the Jews and God, but between God and all of humanity. And it will no longer be about the rules and the traditions that you follow. Now, it will be about who you follow. Because Jesus can do what religious rules and traditions never could. He can change our hearts. And a heart shaped and molded by Jesus' love doesn't need rules and traditions. See, a heart shaped by Jesus will do what is right because it is already following Jesus. But if we only care about the right rules and making sure we do the right traditions, then we will constantly be defiled from what's within our hearts, what comes out of our unchanged hearts. See, it's like this. God has a design for our life, right? He, he originally designed everything to be perfect. He, has, he designed everything to work together in harmony, and he designed humanity to fully and wholly know him and love him. So we call it God's design. But humanity rejected God's offer of love. They said, no, we don't, we don't need you. We want to we rule ourselves. And so what came into the world was, was sin. And sin leads to the problems we see all around us, right? And we call that, we know what it's called. It's called brokenness, right? We are broken. We have shame and fear and guilt. We know that something's not right in us. And so what do we do to try to fix that brokenness? Well, we try to figure things out, right? Maybe we, we uh, try to get more religious. Maybe we, we work harder and so we're more successful so we don't feel broken. Maybe we try to get new relationships that make us feel whole and, and better. And maybe we numb ourselves with entertainment and maybe even substances. But we know it never works. We're still broken. And that brokenness not only breaks us, but it breaks God's heart. He knows that we need something, someone to fix that brokenness. And Jesus said he was that someone who came to fix our brokenness. Because of his love for us, God came in human flesh, Jesus. And he lived the perfect design that he had created us to, to live from the beginning, showing us what humanity is really meant to be. 
then he took the consequences of our brokenness, of, of our shame, of our sin, the ultimate consequence, death. He took that on himself on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He conquered death itself and, and the power of sin over us by rising again, providing the way for us to be restored to God and our true humanity. And we are restored by repenting, like changing our, our turning away from us ruling ourselves by repenting and pledging allegiance to Jesus, turning away from our efforts to fix our brokenness and turning to Jesus and trusting him to restore us, trusting him as the king of our lives now and forever. And when we are restored, we rediscover the design God has for our lives. And it, it covers everything of, you know, how we work and how we, how we live and even how we like pay our bills and how we budget our money. No rules, no traditions, no food will restore our design that we were created to have. Only Jesus can take a human heart and all the brokenness that gushes out of it and restore it and give it new life. So the question we, we have to ask ourselves, the question I have to ask you is, what is keeping us from taking that step of trust? What is keeping us from trusting Jesus to heal our brokenness? Maybe it's time for you to take that step. Maybe it's time to, to stop trying to fix your own brokenness with things that you know don't work and give your allegiance and give your trust to Jesus to make you whole and new. Now, maybe you have taken that step. If so, it doesn't stop there with just taking that step. No, we need to continue to allow Jesus to shape our heart because when our hearts are shaped by Jesus, we discover the, his design for the rest of our lives. Like I said, it, it changes how we vote, how we budget our money, how we interact with others, how we dream, what we dream about, how we work. All of it is shaped by him and we're no longer shaped by our own prejudices and, and wants and fears. We're actually shaped by what, by what God actually cares about. And so this is my invitation for this week. Memorize and pray what David wrote in Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit in me. And as we memorize that and, and are asking and praying God to, to cleanse our hearts and, and, and make us new, as we go through our day, we can ask, what does Jesus' love look like? As our hearts are being transformed in Jesus' love and we're experiencing his love, then as we go around with others, we can ask in that situation, what does Jesus' love look like right now? Invite him to transform your heart and your thinking day by day and thought by thought. So what does God care about? Not rules and traditions. God cares about you. And he cares about everyone around you. He cares that our hearts are molded and shaped in and by his love, because that's the best way to be human. It's the only way to experience the kingdom of God and the full and abundant life he offers all of us. When we allow our hearts to be shaped by Jesus, we can stop worrying about trying to figure out what's, what's right and wrong and, and trying to do that on our own, hoping everything works out. No, when our hearts are transformed by Jesus, we simply get to follow Jesus and do what his love tells us to do. When our hearts are transformed by Jesus, we begin to care about what God cares about.
Thanks for watching this week's content thought by Cross Creek Community Church. Uh, thanks for joining us on this journey through Mark, the story of Jesus. Uh, there'll be lots of content for you available online, YouTube, and podcast. But also don't forget, we meet in person on Sundays at 4.30 in South Salem at 525 Idlewood Drive. So find out more on our website, yourcrosscreek.com. And we're just really glad to see you here online. Uh, send us your information via the welcome form. Say hello, uh, request a Bible, request prayer, or join a small group. Uh, it's all online there for you. And we'll see you next week.